Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. As we enter the second half of Eastertide, the Sunday Gospel lessons begin to prepare us for Ascension and Pentecost to come. To this end, we are returned this morning to the upper room on Maundy Thursday in the Gospel lesson to hear again the words of Jesus as he prepares his disciples for his impending departure. In our lesson this morning, there is a remarkable balance of tenderness and firmness with which Jesus addresses the Father's plan to his disciples. Jesus anticipates that his crucifixion and all that goes with it will be a traumatic experience for his friends but that in seeing him again after his resurrection, they will rejoice. Yet another challenge awaits. Jesus knows that he will depart again to the Father in the ascension, and that his disciples will not see him for what feels like a very long time. He anticipates the temptation to assume that His dying and rising from the dead are the last kind of separation from him they'll have to endure. When confronted with another parting, Jesus understands how it might seem like another death, such that their hearts would be filled with doubt and distress. They will want Jesus to stay with them, even if it means rejecting the plan of the Father even if it means stalling Jesus from his own coronation and delaying Pentecost and the advent of the church. And this is something Jesus will not allow. But Jesus speaks to that temptation in his teaching about the Holy Spirit, the comforter who is to come after his ascension. The Spirit will send to the disciples, even as the Son ascends to the Father. The Spirit will meet them as they battle with unruly doubts, griefs, and fears in Jesus' bodily absence, and will do among and through the disciples the kind of things that Jesus did when he was present among them. The Spirit will make Jesus present to them, in this unique way, which will console their grief and doubt, but also empower them to go out to the world where Jesus wants to send them. Jesus describes the ministry of the Spirit as one of coming alongside to help. And here, there are two faces to this helping ministry. The first applies to the church. The presence of the Spirit among the church will, as Jesus said, guide them into all truth. As the Father delivers all that he has as an inheritance to his Son, so the Spirit will begin to take what has become the Son's and begin to shower it as gifts upon the church. The presence of the Spirit will thus keep the church close to Jesus and manifest among them the power and deeds of Jesus, such that they reveal more and more his glory and presence among them. The gifts of the Spirit, grand as they are, 
are only meant, though, to reveal a taste of the glory yet to be revealed. The spirit among the church makes Christ present in the world until Christ himself returns to the world. The second face of the Spirit's ministry, though, applies to the world. The Spirit's presence in the world will, as Jesus said, convict or expose how wrong the world is concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The way we have to understand this is in the context of Jesus' passion and crucifixion. As the church will be made to reveal more and more the character and power of Jesus, so the world will come to reveal, as the Spirit dwells among it, that it can only be the unjust and violent murderers of Jesus. The Spirit of God exposes the frenzied madness of the world, illuminating what it is hidden and indicting what is done wrongly. As became perfectly clear in the trial and execution of Jesus, the world is gravely in error about what constitutes sin, because it deemed the healing and teaching of the Messiah to be demonism and sedition and heresy. The world is gravely in error about what comprises righteousness, because it deemed cynical expediency and anxious political pandering to be justifiable even as they killed an innocent man. Grave errors concerning sin and righteousness then produce a grave error of judgment. The world of itself has no stable prudence or moral compass with which to navigate. The world and its rulers be they political or religious or even the spiritual powers, thus stand exposed by the Spirit, and in the Spirit's presence will always stand condemned. The world will never be able to hide from or deny the fact that it crucified Jesus. And so it must either repent of this or rail against the Spirit who points to that truth, until the true judge's sentence is executed against it. The Spirit leads the church on a mission through the ruinous self-destruction of the world and into the inheritance and blessing of Jesus. This is the basic pattern that guides all of our actions and our self-understanding as Christians. In the epistle lesson, St. James reminds us of this, telling us that all that is good comes into the world from the Father, through his Son, by his Spirit. This is how authentic goodness, truth, and beauty always enter God's creation since the beginning. No truly good thing has as its ultimate origin this world that crucified Jesus. The very practical note here is that Christians can be continually tempted, though, to forsake that good and the true things that good provides and to partake again in that anarchic and tyrannical and suicidal injustice of the world. St. James reminds us that we can be expected to be tempted by this until our last breath. 
he warns us that this temptation is often felt through the impulse of anger. Anger arises as a disturbance of the heart to signal the presence of a perceived injustice, that something is not right. In that moment, we feel that impulse. The Christian has two paths before them. The first and better path is to turn to Jesus in the Spirit for counsel, to be led into all truth, that the peace of heart and clarity of mind that only God can provide can prevail. Potentially, this can prepare us to be sent back to that injustice as a peacemaker, one who non-anxiously calls without coercion all the involved parties to true righteousness. But the easier, second, and more destructive path is to convert anger to wrath, calling ourselves under our own authority to be judge and executioner, to redress a wrong in immediate and direct action. This will only reveal, as it does with the world, our failure to comprehend sin, righteousness, and judgment. The sensation of anger is thus either an occasion to participate in Christ's ministry of reconciliation and to entrust ourselves to his justice even if we suffer unjustly like him, or else it is the occasion to relapse into the violence of the world and become more like its rulers who crucified Christ. The Holy Spirit is a creator and makes of the church a home of redemption and reconciliation. It is where we come to know Christ and the power of his passion to redeem us from the world and to give us victory over the world. The church is where we are sustained in our longing for Jesus' return, where we gather to reflect on how much we miss him and how much we need him. And it is where we are always welcome to bring our doubt and distress for consolation. But it is easy to be led away from him and his church. It is easy, most easy perhaps when churches themselves enable this temptation to be led away. When they baptize their wrath and foster an embattled and an embittered heart against the world. And in so doing, they become just like the world. The world will inevitably hate Christ, and thus it will always hate Christians. It is all the world knows how to do. But Christians are never free to return hate for hate. We must not tolerate in ourselves a double heart, there is no compromise between the spirit who loves Christ and the world who hates him. But the spirit will always reject those Christians who, while hating the world, hate also those for whom Christ died. We cannot defeat injustice by injustice. We cannot overcome injustice by wrath. We can only defeat injustice through communion with Christ in the Spirit, through innocence, and through prayer. We can give no quarter to satanic and worldly wrath ever.
Rather, we must always, as St. James exhorts us this morning, receive continually with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.